for 25 years. Nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello and welcome back to Highway to Hoover, a production of SEC Extra over at D1Baseball.com. I'm your host, Joe Healy, and today we are continuing our season-long series of conversations with SEC beat writers. And today I am honored to be joined by Leah Van of The Advocate. Uh, Leah's on the LSU beat, so we're going to talk some LSU Tigers baseball. And, uh, you know, why the heck not? Number one team in the country for, oh, I don't know, literally the entire season. So a lot to get into there. And most importantly, actually, though, uh, Leah is a fellow native Texan and we, we actually, in addition to that, have a little bit in common in terms of, in addition to being Texans, we also then spent some time in the Midwest. Yes. As, as Leah for the video, for the video uh, viewers, she is showing the, uh, the longhorn behind her there uh, shout out. Um, she and I both spent a little time in the Midwest after being in Texas. So I will start off with the most important question of the day, Leah, which is when you lived in the Midwest, which of these food related things did you miss the most? Mexican food, barbecue, or Whataburger, or something else. You can go off the board if you want. Mexican. Yeah, I'm with 100%. you. 100%. Because the Midwest doesn't do spice. Like, they think ketchup is spicy. Um, but I right. will say that, like, Louisiana is not exactly known for its Mexican food. Um, but I do get to go to Houston quite a bit, like, with this team or Austin this year. So I've gotten my fix every once in a while. That's good. Yeah, I mean... When that was that was it for me in the Midwest too was was the Mexican food just because you know I'm not the biggest Midwest barbecue fan but you can find some good barbecue spots in the Midwest so like that was all right it's um, right but like the Mex I just I had so much trouble finding a good Mexican place when I lived when I lived there so I was uh, you know when I live here in North Carolina it's a little better it's still not like home but you know that's all right so I just you know I just um, when I go home, I just eat nothing but Mexican food and then uh, feel terrible afterwards. But that's that's the point. You're not getting good Mexican food if you don't feel like a little gross afterwards, right? You got to that's it's good nap food. The the Tex Mex food. Absolutely. Anyway, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk some baseball. Um, there was a lot of, and I do weekly radio with uh, Hunt Palmer, someone who I know you've been on his show. I do a weekly spot with him and coming out of the Kentucky series, even though that was a series win, there was a lot of hand wringing about the pitching situation because of the injuries. And I think there was alarm because Kentucky was able to do what they did. Um, but now LSU has won six games in a row that has not changed the status of, of the pitching situation. But I do wonder if maybe them being able to fight through this and win, like they had the last couple weekends have maybe 
changed the perception of it and, and calmed things down a little bit because there, I mean, I'm sure, you know, I don't need to tell you there was, there was quite a bit of panic there for a while about what this team was going to. Um, sorry, you cut out briefly. Um, hmm. yeah, I would say that there is always panic with the LSU fan base. Um, but, um, when it comes to the team, I think, um, we got to remember, and I keep trying to remind people that last year LSU got 17 SEC wins with basically one Friday night starter in Mikhail Hilliard, who wasn't a typical SEC Friday night starter and maybe made it five innings, right? And so LSU threw this, like, mastered the Johnny Holstaff, like, literally every single game. And I know because I sat through like four to five hour Jay Johnson games with like seven to eight pitching changes on average and so when we kind of saw that kind that style of pitching this weekend with the matchups um people were starting to panic and i was like but this is actually something that jay is very good at and the fact that they're not doing it for an entire season means that a lot of these pitchers are actually very fresh whereas last year i think lsu was LSU's bullpen worked the most innings out of any team in the SEC. And by the time you got to the regional, you noticed that they were just worn down. Like Paul Gervais, Eric Razelman, Riley Cooper, they had all made multiple appearances in the regional, and they had been making appearances in basically two of three games in every single SEC series. So up until this point, you know, they did have Chase Shores for a couple weeks. They did have Garrett Edwards for a couple weeks. Now you don't have either one of those guys, right? And you didn't have Garrett, you didn't have Grant Taylor to start the season. That was going to be one of the key starters in your rotation. But you still have all these guys who really haven't done a lot, you know? And like Griffin Herring coming into his own. Um, I know that he struggled a little bit in the ninth uh, the other day, but and realistically, he is your top reliever right now. And he's a lefty. Another thing that LSU lacked last year. I think, like, in my opinion, yes, it's a concern, especially if you don't get a guy like Thatcher Hurd going. But I think this team has enough of a staff to make it to Omaha. Now, when it comes to Omaha and winning it all, I don't know. Because it really is survival of the fittest in this league and or in this entire <laughs> in this entire sport. And pitching injuries happen to everybody. I know like I reported on pitching injuries and I hear from Arkansas fans and Alabama fans who are like, suck it up. You know, <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm just reporting. I, I have no <laughs> I have no skin in the game. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of I think that I think it's a concern. If you want, like, I think it's a concern as far as like winning the college world series, but I think right now, just like the focus is getting to the college world series. Right. Um, and I think as long as you get Thatcher Hurd going, I think you have enough guys to achieve the goals of the season. Now, I feel so validated by your answer there because that's more or less what I've been telling people, you know, is, is also you have a cheat code on Fridays. Oh, by the way. Um, you know, having Paul Skeens there, I mean, is such a game changer and history is littered with college baseball teams that made deep runs in Omaha with not a lot of depth on the mound. Right. I mean, Texas A&M last year, Arkansas last year, um, you know, so this, this is kind of the way the game is played. Um, I wonder if you agree on a weekend by weekend basis, it feels like the key guy is Ty Floyd, because if he pitches really well, LSU is in great shape because then you can load up your bullpen for Sunday and just play matchups until the cows come home. Um, but when he's not good and he's been inconsistent this year, it really does kind of set them on course to have to scramble the last two days. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, you know, Ty, he has the stuff. You know, the breaking ball was the concern coming into the season. He has it. It's a matter of him throwing it for strikes and also not getting hit. Um, so, you know, it's a delicate balance there. And he obviously did really well at Ole Miss going eight and a third. Um, and then he comes back the next week and it's like, oh, no. You know, and we kind of saw the same thing between um, I think it was Tennessee and then South Carolina. You know, like Tennessee had a decent outing. I don't think it wasn't that great. I don't think it was like amazing. But then South Carolina was a disaster. Um, so I think he only lasted three innings. So, yeah, like he is a little bit hit or miss. But again, like I think I, we've seen this in every other SEC team is like that Saturday starter is kind of the like the turning point of the weekend. Right. And um, the tougher lineups you face you know, the tougher it gets. But when you think about postseason, when LSU is probably likely not facing an SEC team until maybe the region, the super regional, I think he'll do just fine. Um, but yeah, I think it is, it is a point of concern as far as like being able to like, how many guys are you going to use on a Saturday? LSU used seven guys out of the bullpen this past Saturday, which again, reminiscent of last year. But the flip side of that is like two of those guys worked less than an inning. And so then they were able to come back on Sunday because um, they didn't get a lot of use. And like, I, again, I just don't think this is very different from any other team, but the expectation going into the season was you were going to have Jaden Newt, who you got from the MLB draft. You were going to have Grant Taylor, who increased his draft stock from the Cape Cod league this past summer and was going to be a rotate part of the rotation. You got a transfer in Thatcher Hurd, who arguably was the second like biggest pitching prospect out of the transfer portal to Paul Skeens. And so, and then you got Christian little who was, you know, basically a reliable guy from the Southeastern conference. And it's not every day that you poach a pitcher from the Southeastern Conference, especially a program like Vanderbilt, which is known for pitching. I mean, literally, he got his cutter from Jack Leiter. So, like, I think that, you know, the expectation was that pitching was not going to be a problem, but it's always going to be a problem in college baseball, especially when you're facing lineups like you do in the SEC. On the offensive side, do you have to fight the urge, as as I do, frankly, to make every story you write about this team just like, holy crap, look at what Dylan Cruz is doing? No, but for real, he's having one of the greatest seasons in college baseball history? Because I'm just tempted to write almost nothing but that, to be honest. Yeah, it's kind of hilarious how he batted 429 last week and his batting average went down, you know? <laughs> right. it's, um, it's insane. He has reached base in 47 straight games, dating back to last year in the regionals so and that's every that includes every single game this year every single game and for a while i think halfway through sec play he was batting 531 and you know we're looking at some of the lsu greats he's up there um but it is kind of hard because you do kind of like every week when tommy like tommy white hits a grand slam or a three-run homer or a two-run homer or Dylan Cruz gets the home run or the game, you know, the game winning RBI single. And you're just kind of asking Jay, like, again, how good is <laughs> this guy? And can you just, we just need, I just, I think by the end of the season, I'll be like, Jay, I need some sort of sentence on Dylan Cruz for my game story. That is it. <laughs> I, I just don't know what else to say. Um, but you know, it is, it is kind of challenging as a writer because you have to find out like, okay, what is different from this game? Um, which is part of the reason like why our jobs are 
so fun and so interesting, right? And so, like, this week I was like, okay, let me focus on Hayden Travinsky once again getting a three-run homer to flip the script on game two. And then you've got Alex Malazzo, who his, like, game, he basically had the game-winning RBI single when you had a 9-9 to tie this on Sunday. But then LSU was able to extend the lead, right? Because then you get another couple home runs from Jared Jones and from Paxton Kling. But he was the moment, right? He broke the tie, and then that held for the rest of the game. And then you see Riley Cooper arguably have his best appearance so far this season. And you think back, okay, well, last season he was known as old reliable, and now he's once again emerging as that. So, yeah, it does – it forces you to get creative – but I have written a lot of Dylan Cruz and Tommy White stories. <laughs> Understandably. You mentioned a couple guys there, Travinsky and Malazzo. That's a, a good uh, kind of entree to my next question, which was going to be about some of the pleasant surprises maybe you've seen in this lineup because the lineup was so famous, right? I mean, not just those two guys, but, you know, Trey Morgan and Gavin Dugas and even even Cade Beloso, frankly, guy who's been at LSU for, I don't know, since the Clinton administration. Um, but, you know, I, I love he as as you know a guy who, who's been there a while but he's had these these huge moments that we didn't see coming in Malazzo I mean two years ago he got pressed into duty with the team and just wasn't ready offensively and was like frankly just kind of a hole in the lineup and now you know he's not hitting with a ton of power but he's hitting something like 350 or you know like he's competitive at the plate and so I think there are these little, and you tell me, but it does feel like there are these kind of pleasant surprise stories up and down the lineup in a lineup that we thought we kind of knew coming into the season yeah, Alex Malazzo, he's batting 362, which if you yeah. told people who watch Alex Malazzo his freshman year that, they would probably think you're on drugs. But, um, <laughs> right. you know, Alex Alex is an elite catcher. Like, And I think a lot of people have kind of made this mistake in asking him, oh, you took over for Brady Neal. No, no, this was – he is a starting catcher. Um, and, like, Brady Neal is a true freshman. He's very talented. Obviously, LSU got him out of the draft. He's been injured for quite a few weeks now. Um, And so Alex was kind of only starting the midweek games. Um, But now I think Jay is trying to like kind of be careful with his catchers. And so he's playing Alex for two out of the three games of the SEC series. And then Hayden Travinsky is probably going to start on Tuesday night. And so, yeah, it is kind of this interesting thing where, but and Cade Beloso said this a couple weeks ago, when you've got guys like Tommy White and Dylan Cruz in your lineup, you personally don't have to do much because you just got to get a single. You just got to lay a bunt. And that's exactly what Alex Malazzo is doing in that nine hole, right? Like he is moving runners and he's doing just enough. He does not need to hit home runs in the position that he is in. Hayden Travinsky, however, hits for power. He's a big dude. You know, Alex Mazo is like 5'10 if you put on some shoes. And like Hayden Travinsky is like 6'4, right? So Hayden is just a big, he's a big built guy. And he's battled through a lot of injuries and um, he's a big glue guy for the team. And, um, but as far as plate discipline, like it's improved, but it's not amazing, right? But he is going to get you those extra base hits. So it's two very different styles. And I think having Travinsky go on Saturdays when Ty Floyd is pitching and you know you might need to win the game on offense, I think that has been key to this team now for two straight weeks. 
there there was I mean, obviously the pitching injuries have been more of the focus, but there's also the, the lineup has been a little, I would say, nicked up more than injured, right? Like a, a little thing here, a little thing there. Tommy White, Trey, Brady Neal, Kling. Um, just give us a quick like status update. I think most of those guys played last weekend. So where are we with that generally as far as the lineup being whole or something close to it? Yeah, so Tommy White just he exited the game on Sunday against Ole Miss because he had like leg soreness, apparently, according to Jay. And he was just it was cold that day. So I think he honestly had like a cramp issue, but he was not able to play on Tuesday. So he did not play. Um, Trey Morgan, I think, was hit with a ball like on his hand um, during the Ole Miss series. And he stayed in. But then I think he sat out on Tuesday because obviously you get a bruise and the swelling shows up later. Right. Um, and he was able to play this week. So I would expect both of those guys are probably going to be fine. Gavin Dugas, you know, Kentucky series got hurt. I think that was a huge blow to LSU in that series. Obviously, um, Gavin's a really like trusted guy in the lineup, especially in that leadoff position. And so, you know, he's kind of that guy who's always going to get beat up, but then he always comes back pretty quickly. And so he's been back. Um, he did not bat as well this weekend, but you know, he still was able to, get on base uh, a couple of times and just enough to, you know, work counts. Um, and then Paxton Kling returned this weekend. He actually, I think he came back on Saturday cause Jay was a little gun shy on Friday. Um, so he came in the later innings and I think he even caught a fly ball and um, then he hit the home run on Sunday. Again, he came in late. He did not start. I would expect him to probably start in the midweek. Um, just to kind of get his feet more wet, get him going a little more. Because when you have a hamstring injury, Jay was emphasizing, yeah, you you have to kind of pay attention to that first step. Um, if they're able to make that first step as an outfielder, because the agility aspect of it, getting back to that, um, getting physically able to have confidence in that first step um, is really the key to coming back from a hamstring injury. And they thought it was going to be a lot worse at first, um, but mm. – come back a lot quicker than anybody expected. So the position players from an injury standpoint are doing well. Okay. Team defense was a little bit of a, well, I wouldn't say a little bit was, was a shortcoming last year. Um, this year, numbers wise has been better, although less so in sec play, there's been little blips here, here and there, but um, you know, what, what has been the difference defensively? Would you say, I know it was a talking point coming into the season. And do you feel like th this team actually has made strides defensively or maybe have things been papered over a little bit? And it's largely this kind of the same thing. Well, defensively, I mean, I know that they made four errors yesterday, um, but like, you know, a drop fly ball by Trey Morgan, you're not going to take him out of the game. Right. Um, sure. Yeah. Right. And then uh, the big difference, the major key difference has been Jordan Thompson. He's fully healthy. He was not fully healthy when he returned to the shortstop position last year. And really the key to having your entire um, defense on the same page is having your shortstop fully healthy. And so, you know, last year, I don't think if you notice, like he kind of stumbled again, like taking that first step because he had a, I think he had like a knee injury where he, they just went in for a, a scope surgery. And it was something where he was supposed to be out for eight weeks and he came back like two or three weeks later. Um, mm. And so he was kind of playing like unhealthily the entire season. And then he went this summer to the Cape Cod League and played a few more games. But then he realized, oh, I need to like actually take a step back and not play baseball. Um, right. And so that's exactly what he did. He came back and he is fully healthy. And, you know, he's obviously a major league prospect. Um, and he 
He's got a great arm. He can make some unreal throws. And, you know, also with college baseball just being unpredictable and just being college baseball, there are going to be errors at that position. I mean, I talked to Ryan Terrio about this, and he said, I think I led the SEC in errors like my senior year or like junior year, whatever his last year was. And so he yeah. – uh, he was like, you know, you're the shortstop. You're going to lead the team in errors. Like, that's just how it is. Um, you get the most balls. Um, so, that, you know, I think that's been the key to LSU's um, improvement and, like, more cohesiveness defensively, really. And I know that, you know, Tommy White at third base has also made a couple errors here and there, but he's still pretty solid at the position. I would argue he's probably better than Jacob Berry was last year. Um, Jacob, I just felt like, didn't have a lot of speed. Um, and not that you need a lot at hot corner, but like there were a couple ground balls. I was like, all right, man, can you, can you not get to that? You know, it's just like, I don't, I don't know. And so it was just kind of like a mind, it, you know, it's, I think that, I think that Tommy, you know, he's played third base his whole life. He came here on a mission to play third base and he's going to work his butt off to keep that position, obviously. And he's not exiting the lineup anytime soon. Um, so, you know, I think that's been the key, but I also would argue the depth at catcher, um, Alex Malazzo is defensively the best catcher on this team. Um, he is going to freeze that running, that base running game for anybody. Nobody wants to run against this guy. He's going to throw you out like that. Um, and so I think that also keeps the team on the same page. And then you can also contribute it to the pitching. The pitching is still overall better. And that keeps the defense engaged. And what Jordan Thompson also told me was that the pitch clock, all of mm. that, all mm. of that keeps the defense engaged because you, if you're like not going in a rhythm, you can kind of lose your attention a little bit. Um, and then when you get in strikeout after strikeout behind Paul Skeens, like you are very engaged as opposed to like three or four walks in a row, right? And the game slows down. They're throwing more pitches. You're not anticipating more balls. I mean, that's just your natural, like that's your natural way of thinking. So all of those things combined have really helped LSU defensively. Um, but you're still going to get the weird college baseball things. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I've also, I found that the pitch clock has also helped keep media members engaged uh, as it turns out. Um, that has been helpful. It's been really, really, really nice. I have to, I have to admit I am pro action clock. Uh, final question for you, Liam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Final question for you. And that's, I mean, we knew what this team was coming into the season. Now that you've had whatever it is, 40 some odd games at this point. Um, how do you feel like this team has dealt with that level of expectation? And then also like how much of that uh, in my experience, like Jay tends to be a pretty straight shooter with his team. I mean, how much is that a discussion internally about dealing with expectations and all of that? Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious just how they've handled all of this. Well, you know, they bring a bunch of like mental coaches in the beginning of the season and teach them like, you know, how to wait your turn and also how to be a good team guy. And, you know, especially when you have that amount of talent on one team, like, I mean, I can only imagine as an athlete, if you don't see the field for a couple of weeks, you probably feel a little bit worthless, you know, but um, I think they've done a really good job of kind of balancing that. And you'll see that Jay does give some of those players time and later in games or in midweek games, which he argues are just as important. Um, and so I think that's been a huge thing for team culture. I think some of the guys that they brought in are also just big team guys. I mean, Paul Skeens, like his character and the way he carries himself, like you can just tell. And I think, you know, Alex Malazzo told us yesterday, he's like, you don't see him in the locker room. Like, I know he looks all business to y'all, but like, he's really fun. You know, he's a mm -hmm. six foot eight child is what he said. <laughs> um, and so 
we, uh, I think that, you know, I think when you bring in guys from the transfer portal, there's always this risk of like disrupting team chemistry. But I think they all came in with this idea of like, we want to get a championship and um, that is our ultimate goal. And to do that, we have to be good teammates. And then when you get guys like Hayden Chervinsky some time and he's hitting home runs and, you know, more of the lineup contributing, that helps. And then, you know, we talked to Riley Cooper yesterday and he said, you know, I know when we make like seven pitching changes, it's a lot, but it actually makes us as a staff feel like as a team, we, we contributed more. Right. Hmm. So um, Jay Johnson does this thing where he hands the lineup card to somebody who has the magic moment at the end of every game. Um, And on Saturday, he gave it to the entire pitching staff because the bullpen was really what saved the game. And so, and then on Sunday, Riley Cooper got it because he got the save. So um, those little things make people feel special because that lineup card is not going to Dylan Cruz every game. It's not going to Tommy White every game, right? Like it's going to somebody who had like this pivotal moment in the game and it could be a pitch. It could be a hit. It could be anything. Um, so I think a lot of that trickles down. I think, and I think, you know, it's really hard to get guys from, you know, a previous coach to buy into a new coach and then a new coach bringing in his guys to also buy in collectively. I think they've done a very good job of that. Certainly the the proof is in the pudding there. LSU number one from start to current moment and all the, you know, uh, leading the SEC West, all, all that stuff, all their big picture goals right in front of them. And if you want to read about this LSU baseball team's march to, in their minds, hopefully Omaha, you can do so by reading Leah Van's work. I would highly recommend it. Check out all of her work at theadvocate.com. I say this on every one of these podcasts, support local beat writing, support local newspapers. The work that Leah and other SEC beat writers do is invaluable to me because they do on the ground reporting that I just can't do from my home in North Carolina. So it's an invaluable service they're providing. It'll make you a smarter fan. Certainly you can follow her on Twitter at L van that's V a N N underscore sports. Leah, I really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having me. That is going to do it for this edition of highway to Hoover a presentation of SEC Extra over at D1Baseball.com. Thanks to our presenting sponsor, Brock's Gap Brewing Company in Hoover, Alabama. And remember to buy your tickets for Monday, May 22nd for mine and Mark Etheridge's live show from Brock's Gap Brewing Company. Go to D1Baseball.com for more information. So thank you to Brock's Gap. Thank you again to Leah for joining me. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you all soon. I live by routines, especially my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. 